You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. How is everybody? Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and every other thing they call it. My name is Ryan Phipps. Like Jen said, I am the oldest and baldest of the Forefront staff. It's great to be with you today. This is what wisdom looks like right here. (laughs) Hey, so uh, in the event that you have been unable to be with us over the past two weeks, Jonathan and I always teach from the same text, but Advent is a season where we're often coming and going with family and friends. If you missed any of the messages so far in this series, we have them all cataloged at ForefrontNYC.com slash Advent. You can watch them there in video form or listen to them in audio form. So please do that if you've missed any of the messages. They all kind of play off of one another. Our topic today centers around, and it's odd, I've never preached on Joseph during Advent before, but he popped up in the text. Our topic today centers around probably one of the most unrecognized characters in the New Testament. This man is Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. His accolades are not listed anywhere in scripture, and yet if you think about it, this man would have spent more time with Jesus, with the Son of God, than anyone else in the New Testament, eating with him, talking with him, laughing with him, teaching him about life and everything that fathers teach their sons. Can you imagine having the puberty conversation with Jesus? Son, this, earth, this is how this, it's all right, Dad. I created heaven and earth, I got it. I mean, what was that like? I don't know. Someone needs to write a book on the puberty of Jesus. They could make millions of dollars. (laughs) But in fact, there are only a few lines written about Joseph in Matthew's gospel, which we're studying during this Advent season. All of them referring to him in the third person. Our text for today doesn't even name him. It names Mary and Jesus' brothers, but Joseph is simply referred to by his occupation. You just heard Jen read it a minute ago. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? The surrounding context of this verse, if you think about what it's really saying, is nothing less than insulting to Joseph. To sum it all up, it's kind of saying something like, Jesus is so wise, how is that possible? He's the carpenter's son. Jesus is so miraculous, how is that possible? He's the carpenter's son. I'm not sure if Joseph was there when this was said about him, but it certainly shows what the people of his hometown thought about him. They thought him to be a simple-minded man, a tradesman, a man who made his living building shelves and fences and doors. While Mary would go down in the history of Christendom as the divine vessel through which God birthed himself into the world, Joseph just kind of disappears in her shadow. And yet this man is the earthly father that God in his divine wisdom chose to raise the one that you and I call 
the Messiah. What can we learn from that today about our own lives here in the recognition-driven Western world? In spite of the assumption that pastors only work on Sundays, that would be wonderful if that were true, but in spite of the assumption that pastors only work on Sundays, I spend a great deal of my time during the week meeting with people that come into my office, seeking spiritual advice about the challenges they're facing in their lives. You know what the number one thing people struggle with is? Go ahead and just say it out if you think you know what it is. Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Nobody? Really? Just say it out. What's the number one thing people struggle with? Money, job, what else? Relationships, fear. The number one thing I found, if I were to take all of these sessions and mash them together and take the average of the subject that we discuss, the number one challenge people struggle with is significance. Feeling that the work they do is significant enough in the grand scheme of life to really matter. Maybe more so than any other city in the United States, possibly even the world. People come here to New York looking for greatness, and yet many of us feel as if we've never found it. We came here for one thing and we wound up doing something else. Here are some statistics about making it that will blow your mind. If you want to make it into the NBA, you have a three in 10,000 chance. If you want to make it into the NFL, which I've always wanted to, kidding, you have an 8 in 10,000 chance. If you want to play professional baseball, you have a 5 in 10,000 chance. Now here's where the chance gets really good though. If you're a musician and you want your band to get signed by a record label, your chance is 1 in 429. In other words, if you're here and you want to play in the NFL, put down the football pick up the guitar, you will increase your chances. <laughs> Actors and actresses in the room, even if you make the audition, which has a 200 to 1 rejection rate, your chances of winning an Oscar by the end of your career are 1 in 11,500. For every winner, there are thousands of losers. Chances are you're one of them. Doesn't that make you feel great this morning? What's my point? There aren't enough slots available for all of us to reach stardom, and yet these are the standards we hold ourselves to. When we look in the mirror in the morning and we see that person staring back at us, we hold ourselves to these standards in order to approve of that reflection. And I wonder if Joseph wrestled with that, being the sort of third wheel in the Advent story, raising the Son of God who became famous, his wife who became famous, a few of Jesus' brothers who became famous. Joseph drops into the background, and yet the fact is that his life was very significant he wasn't just thought of as significant by the people of his hometown, his peers. If you're taking notes today, whether on killed trees or a digital device, write this down. God's version of greatness 
and our version of greatness are not the same thing. God's version of greatness and our version of greatness are not the same thing. Sometimes your plan B is God's plan A for your life. I don't personally believe that God makes mistakes with people, with the lives of people. I don't think he throws us like dice. And if that's really true, it means that Joseph played the part he was destined to play in the raising of the Son of God, and yet no one noticed him. Glamorous to the people of his hometown? Absolutely not. Parade-worthy in the streets of his city? No. But in God's eyes, worthy of great honor because he was faithful in that place where God had put him. The Apostle Paul echoes this kind of faithfulness later in the New Testament when he writes this. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. And I'd like to put a modern spin on that. Do not become slaves of the opinions of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. You ever feel like a slave in your life and the things that you do? You ever feel imprisoned by your work? Not able to just go out and do what your heart really burns to do? Jesus himself would also say something similar to what Paul said later in Jesus' life as an adult when he said this. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're unfaithful in little things, you won't be faithful with greater responsibilities. And I don't have any biblical or historical evidence to support this opinion, but there's a part of me that wonders if Jesus had Joseph's example as a father in mind when he said that. If I could sum up the American dream in one sentence, it would be this. We are people who are driven by the need for greater levels of responsibility. We judge ourselves by what we do, not by who we are. Raise your hand here this morning if you're a human being. Some of you aren't raising your hand. Are you aliens? <laughs> you are a human being, not a human doing. And yet here in the West, you start having a conversation with somebody, you get one or two questions in the conversation. What do you do? We define ourselves by this kind of stuff. We judge ourselves by this stuff. The corner office that calls to us, the bigger title that taunts us. And yet we reach the top of the mountain and we get to the top of the mountain and we look out and we see there's just more mountains with higher peaks and the chase continues. It's so easy to get duped into that. 
It is the reason for our stress. It is the reason we place work above family. It's the reason we give up truly eternal things for temporal moments of earthly recognition. We chase, we strive, we strain, we hustle, and yet all that God is wanting of us is just to be right where we are and just be faithful there until he entrusts us with greater responsibility. And that flies in the face of everything we are taught by our surrounding culture to believe about ourselves. But God's version of greatness and our version of greatness are not the same thing. This is what God is trying to teach us by placing this unrecognized, shoved into the background, third wheel Joseph in the Advent story. Will we listen and observe and let that example shape us? Or will we just ignore it because we only want the lofty parts of the story that are worthy of a glance from us, that are worthy of a thought from us? How many of you in this room knew, know who a man named Vasily Arkhipov is? Raise your hand if you know who that is. Exactly. Almost no one knows who he is. He was uh, born in 1926 to a peasant family, and he worked in the Soviet Navy, and he worked his way all the way up the ranks, and he eventually became second in command of the B-59 submarine. And in 1962, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, his submarine was forced to dive very deep into the ocean due to the U.S. explosives that were dropping on them. And they dove so deep that they couldn't receive radio transmissions from Moscow to know what to do next. And a difficult decision had to be made. The captain wanted to fire a nuclear missile which would have started a nuclear war. They had previously been given permission before diving by Moscow to fire the nuclear missile if all three officers on board agreed to it. And so Vasily, being second in command, successfully talked down the captain from firing the missile and convinced him to surface the submarine to await orders from Moscow. And as a result of this, Arkhipov effectively prevented a worldwide nuclear war. The world that you and I live in today, the country that you and I live in today, might not even be in existence if this unknown man hadn't had this one quiet conversation. This guy literally saved the world. And we don't even know his name. We didn't even hear about him in school. And this guy might be the reason we're all sitting here today in a building with heat and light and a bald man talking to you about... Joseph. <laughs> One of his, history's greatest downfalls is that it often catapults some figures into a legendary status while it leaves others, even those of great co cultural contribution, behind as mere footnotes. And this is what the lives of people like Vasily Arkhipov and Joseph, the father of Jesus, are trying to teach us. That God's version of greatness and our version of greatness are not the same thing. Not in the least. 
When we are faithful in what is small and unrecognized, God in his timing will entrust us with more, but only if we keep our eyes off of the getting entrusted with more and we just really live and work well in the present. Your life is not defined by the things you own or what you do. Your life is defined by little things, by small stuff. And Jesus says if we're faithful in the small stuff, that this is all that matters. We need not chase or strive or strain to be giants. And believing that, really believing that at a heart level to where it affects our actions in the outer world will make us less competitive. It'll make us a people who are less driven by comparison. It'll help us to be able to rejoice and be happy when we see someone else experiencing success instead of gritting our teeth and being envious all the time. Believing this, really believing this, will shape us into a person more like Jesus Christ, who was always in the right place, at the right time, never too slow, never too fast, just fully present wherever he was in the moment. Wherever you are in your life today, wherever you find yourself, just be there and do good work. Be faithful to the small stuff and leave the future in God's hands. Um, I didn't have this bit in my note this morning, in my notes this morning, uh, but I felt like I just wanna, wanted to include a closing story about my own life. Um, you know, the line of work I'm in today uh, as a pastor, I never wanted to be this. I never wanted to do this uh, growing up. In our neighborhood church, people would often, my dad was a pastor for 48 years, he's retired now, and people would come up to me and I'd be there with my dad, you gonna be a pastor like daddy? And I just wanted to kick him in the knees. Like a, <laughs> No, I'm not going to be a pastor. What are you, crazy? Why would anyone subject themselves to such a meager, flavorless lifestyle? <laughs> but God did something in my life, and um, I started going back to church about the time I was 19, I think, and um, I had always been gifted to play music, and... Um, I got involved at this church and started working there, and by the time I was 25, I was uh, on staff leading the, the worship, the worship department at one of the largest churches in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, not Kansas. And um, I had this drive in me at the time. I was leading music in this influential church, writing all this music and playing around at youth conventions and college conventions and anywhere else. And I wrote a few songs that other churches started playing and then uh, some, some signed artists picked up one of the songs and started recording it. And all that I ever wanted was to get signed to a label and make my living for music so I could get out of this 
church business that I had to work in to pay my bills. I just wanted to go on the road and play and, you know, feel good about myself. <laughs> and um, I remember being so angry during those few years of my life, especially when I would see people around me playing songs that I wrote and then getting recognition for that and then getting royalties because of that and yada, yada, yada. And years later, now that I am in this line of work where I no longer sing and hold a guitar, I'm more happy than I've ever been in my life. And this is exactly what I didn't want at the time. This was my plan B, if you will. And you know what I needed in order to get here? Frustration. A loss of self-esteem. Realizing that for every winner there are thousands of losers and chances were I was one of them. Not getting what I wanted. Looking in the mirror and not liking what I saw reflected. Darkness, loneliness, whatever. Add any negative word to the list. That's how I felt at that time in my life. And that's exactly what I needed to find the path to the career that would really fulfill me, that God knew would fulfill me, but I didn't know that. God knew what was in my heart more than I did. And sometimes in life, it's that way. Your plan B might be God's plan A. And you must walk through the desert before you get to the city or you get to the river or to the lake. Sometimes we go through deserts on the way to where things are green and lush. And that is okay. And if you're here today and you hate your life and you hate what you do and you hate how you make your money and you shut down at parties when you're standing amongst hedge fund people and they say, what do you do? I have to go to the bathroom. And, they, you know, like, <laughs> you might just be in the very perfect will of God for your life at this season. You might just be exactly where you need to be to get to where God wants you to be. And it's okay if you're overlooked like Joseph. If the people of your hometown don't know your name. If they can name everybody around you except for you. You might just be on the edge of doing something in history. Even if you don't get recognized for it. That matters to the kingdom of God. Let's stand and pray. God, thank you for our world. Thank you for placing us here in the West where compared to many spots on the globe, we have a lot. God, everything here in the U.S. that is beautiful about us is also what can make 
this very sick and very distorted. Forgive us for chasing things at the expense of our soul. Forgive us for our idols that we place above you. God, I pray for every person in this room this morning that is feeling overlooked or neglected, particularly in their career and how they make a living. I pray for all of those in this room who feel like they're on plan B or C or D. I pray that you would in your own individual mysterious way that you visit all of us. I pray that you would visit these people and give them courage and endurance and patience. Help them to see their life as a path, not as just a stopping point on a road. God, I pray for every person in this room equally who has reached the top and they're just ravenous, wanting more. I pray that in the same way you would visit them and arrest them and help them to see what this life is really all about. What good is it to us if we gain everything we want and we lose the core of who we are? God, thank you for your slow, steady process and the way that you work in us, teaching us patience, teaching us to love ourselves for who we are, not for what we do. May we become more and more those kinds of people. In Jesus' name, amen.